Hi, this is Corey Olson, and welcome to Students of the Word. This podcast consists of recordings of the weekly Bible study I've started running in February of 2022. I'm doing close reading, uh, which means we're going very slowly, thinking really carefully about the words, how everything fits together, and then, of course, also thinking about what this means for us and what we do with it. Thanks for listening, and I pray that God will bless the reading of his word as we study together. Okay, welcome to episode 20. Well, we're going to take some time here at the beginning to think a little bit more about verse 9 in particular, thinking about love and hate and exactly what it means to he who hates his brother. We kind of skimmed over that a bit last time, so we're going to come back and land on that for a while and think that through in some practical ways. And then we'll move on to verse 10 and talking about abiding in the light. And we'll end with a brief consideration of the stumbling. Um, but we will be leaving some of that until next time. But that's what we're, where we're going to get up to. So uh, thanks for coming along with me today, and let's get to it. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Students of the Word. This is session number 20, which in real time, for those folks who have been attending my live sessions, it has been a long gap. Uh, it's been a gap of over five weeks. Uh, it's been six weeks, I believe, since our last session. Uh, and so it's been uh, it's going to take me a while to get sort of reoriented into things here. This is just kind of the nature uh, of this study. I'm doing it whenever I can, when I'm home on the weekends, but it's been a lot of travel here this fall. Uh, uh, so I've been on the go, but we're going to try to get back into the rhythm of things here. And tonight we are hoping to move on to verse 10 of chapter two. So let us, uh, I, I'm not going to do a brief overview of the whole book, which I'm tempted to do to kind of re reorient my own self. Um, but we will jump ahead to the paragraph that we've been looking at, which is paragraph four here. Um, the this uh, second paragraph in chapter two. So let's actually just reread this from the beginning and we'll pick up uh, where we dropped off. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. All right, so that's where we are. Verse 10 is where we are today. Um, and of course, there was a lot that we discussed um, in about seven, eight, and nine in the previous few sessions. Um, just a, a sort of a glance back at that. We were talking last time about the darkness passing away and the true light already shining. Um, and we were talking about our own role in that. This was the one where you may remember I was feeling ambushed myself uh, about that, about our own role in the true light already shining, that this is something we are called on to be the light of the world. And the implication of being the light of the world um, is that the light is shining through us and that we actually have some responsibility for that. Um, the new commandment is true in him and in you. We were looking at the, the sort of the shameless equivalence. We spent a lot of time talking about the uh, preposition in there. What does it mean for it to be true in him and in us? Um, but in the end, we ended up emphasizing a lot the significance of the and, of the conjunction, right? It's in true, it's true in him and in us, like equally, right? Those are just joined together as if it's the same thing, which of course is what we've been seeing all the way through um, that 
the significance of the union. I mean, I guess if there was one way in which I would sum up uh, to some extent, almost everything that we've learned in first John, or, you know, just try to say, what is he talking about? Right. What is first John about so far? Um, One of the ways that I would describe that is I would say, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean? So if we're, if we're, together with God, if we're unified with God, if Jesus is in us and we are in him, what does that mean? What are the implications of that? What does that look like? Um, and this is one of the places I think that we can see him sort of addressing that because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And we talked about the the sort of, um, well, not quite paradox, um, but the the significance there, right? The darkness is passing away. It's happening but it's not complete. It's an action that is not yet complete. The darkness is still passing away. It's still here. There's still darkness around. It's going. That future is certain, but it's still around, even though it is in the act of passing away. And the true light is already shining. That's already here too. And this is the world that we are living in, where the darkness is passing away, but it's still here. And the true light is already shining. And in that context, we then came into yet another one of these same patterns. And we were pointing out the similarity of the patterns here that we've been seeing all the way since paragraph two, right? If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So he talks about this, this gap, right? You know, that you it's, if we, if we say the one thing and yet our actions are showing something else, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth, but If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Um, uh, Right. You know, so we've got the, if we say this, this, but if we do this, then this other thing is true. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we saw the similar pattern here in, uh, in paragraph three as well, right? The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Um, And verse nine and 10 is a pairing very similar to those other pairings that we've seen now at least three times in this epistle so far. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Um, notice how that is almost, um, how it turns around. I, I don't remember talking about this last time. Um, how it almost turns around the vocabulary from that first pairing. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Um, being in the darkness was the, but if we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, then we lie. Right. Um, though that's that's the the contradiction in terms. Uh, the lying is always just about sort of stating a thing which is impossible. It's it's not even about motivations exactly. It's not accusing us of uh, of you know attempting to deceive other people, though we may be, and certainly de- uh, deceiving ourselves. But again, the the overall point is one of simply stating the impossible. Right. You are you you can claim that. You can say it, but it doesn't make it true. It just makes you a liar. It makes you a claimer of impossible things. Um, And that was especially uh, emphasized, I thought, in the last one. If you say, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his 
commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Again, I think it's one of the senses of the truth is not in him. Um, that is to say the truth, um, uh, the truth is, okay, he can't, it's, you're, you're just, you're stating, you're stating an impossible thing. You're stating a contradiction in terms. There's no truth there at all um, because you can't come to know him and not keep his commandments. Like that's, that's not possible, right? Um, it, to the only way to come to know him is to keep his commandments. And if you keep his commandments, you will come to know him. Um, you So to assert the one without the other is, is, is in the literal sense of the term, nonsense. He now comes and he applies this, applies this same idea. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. It is nonsense to say that you are in the light and that you hate your brother. Or that you hate other people. We talked about, we spent a while looking at uh, his brother um, and uh, how one understands that. Uh, and it seems pretty clear that it means anybody, right? That it's referring to, just as Jesus used the phrase um, uh, about in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, uh, with the, uh, if you say to your, you know, brother Racha, um, you have murdered him in your heart. Clearly not just talking about blood kin, clearly not just talking about fellow Israelites, uh, clearly not just talking about fellow believers uh, in later as sort of later on in the Pauline sense. Um, I, I think fairly clearly talking about your fellow human being. If you say you're in the light and hate your brother, you're in darkness until now. Um, it's just it's just not possible. So, but notice that the shift, as I say, the shift in terms here. The first time we got this pairing, it was he who says he has fellowship with God and walks in darkness is a liar, right? Um, does not the truth. Um, walking in darkness was the tell <laughs> there, in a sense. If you see what I mean? Like, you know, you're claiming this, but this other thing is clearly true right? This contradictory thing is clearly true. And therefore, right, one can draw the conclusion that you're lying, right? That what that which you speak is clearly not true, is proven untrue. And you're not doing, and then, so what happens is you're not doing the truth, right? Is how he describes it in that term. But the walking in darkness was the demonstrable thing, right? That was the outward thing that you could point to, to say, well, you say this, you claim that this one thing is true, and yet we can see that this other thing is true. And so therefore, this it's it's not it therefore it's nonsense. Therefore, it's a lie. Therefore, it's a contradiction and can't be true. The darkness has now, in this construction, has now shifted from the second thing to the third thing, if you see what I mean. Right. Um, there's the thing that's claimed again, which is claimed that he's in the light. And then there's the thing that's demonstrably true, which is the hating his brother. And what does that show? Well, it does show in a sense, uh, there's, there's, there's that similarity, right? The thing that he said is nonsense, right? He says he's in the light. That's, that's nonsense. That can't be. The third thing is that he's in the darkness until now. 
So you see that one way in which we can apply this term is it kind of helps us go back and answer a question we had way back when. What does it mean to walk in the darkness? If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What does it mean to walk in darkness? What's he talking about when he talks about walking in darkness? Um, and we didn't have that much to go on. We, we, you know, we were talking about some things, just thinking about the immediate context there, especially the God is light and in him is no darkness at all verse that had come right before. Um, but we, we did not really have, as I say, a, a full sort of context in this, but now he's sort of supplying it. He's kind of working up the chain in a sense. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. This is at least one prominent example of how one can walk in the darkness, right? Um, but of course, we have this new context now for the light and the darkness because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Is the new commandment true in you as it is in him? because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So is the new commandment to you that he's writing to you, which is not a new commandment, but an old commandment, except it's also kind of a new commandment, as we talked about before. Um, is it true in you as it is in him? How do we know? How can we be sure? Well, the one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother, is actually in the darkness until now. And of course, we uh, were talking about the significance of the until now last time, right? That, that on the one hand, its clearest, simplest, I think primary meaning is, is, is still in the darkness, right? Um, you know, all the way up until this point, you've, you've claimed you've been in the light. I don't know how long you've been claiming it you've been in the light, right? I don't know how long you think you've been in the light, but no matter how long you think you've been in the light, if you're still hating your brother, you've been in the darkness the whole time. That's clearly, I think, the primary sense of that phrase. But we talked about the other possible sense of that phrase, until now. That is, there's grace in that phrase. There's, there's still time. The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. And that means several different things. It is on the one hand, a declaration of victory. The light is shining and the darkness is passing away. We know where things are going, right? We like the victory has been won and we can participate in that victory, right? Um, we've been in the darkness until now. There's still time. The darkness, are you going to sort of pass away with the darkness? Are you going to remain in the darkness as it passes away? Or are you going to enter the true light, right? Are you going to step into the true light? Um, there's a possibility here. There's a chance here. Um, there is, as I say, I think a grace in that phrase as well, um, which is interesting because we didn't get that same glimpse earlier on. Um, I mean, you, there was still the implication, like, if you're not practicing the truth, well, you could start practicing the truth, right? Um, and, of course, the 
second half of the second pairing. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, right? So that one is explicitly about, um, is explicitly about uh, forgiveness, explicitly about uh, coming back, right? Confessing our sins and being forgiven and cleansed. So the second time, the grace is the main focus of it, right? Of our being uh, uh, sort of accepted back in this way. Um, How about the third time? Whoever follows his word, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Um, Now here he's talking about sort of the, the done deal, right? Has truly been perfected. The love of God is complete in that person. Um, So that's not the emphasis there in paragraph three. Yes, but the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother. No, hang on. Wait, before I want to go on, there's one other thing I want to emphasize here. Again, he's talking on a different level. There's a practicality to this. Um, We've been speaking in these sort of abstract terms, right? Again, going back to the other pairings, walking in darkness. What does that mean exactly? Um, uh, You know, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And we talked about it's really not even 100% clear what that means. Does that mean if you uh, don't think sin is an ongoing problem for you, right? If you, um, it's, and again, like what, what sins, like which, what, what's the problem here? Is there, a, you know, it's, it's not, it's not sort of specific, it's, it's general, right? It's sort of abstract in these ways. Um, he gets very practical here in this fourth pairing. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. You know, I said, there was the thing you claim to be true, the thing that you can, that is visibly true. And then there's, uh, and then there's, you know, like the consequences uh, of that. Um, But here, when I say the thing, which is visibly true, it's made recognizable to us in this very practical way for the first time, hate your brother, right? Now there's still some abstractness there, right? What exactly does it mean to hate your brother? Um, I think that this is, this word hate, this idea of hating your brother is something which I think is in, it's a concept that's really been messed with a lot lately. Um, I'm thinking about phrases like hate speech, for instance, right? Um, It's pretty clear that in our current culture, um, some, you could say a thing which is itself a quite positive thing and yet be accused of hate speech by others. You could say something which is quite hateful um, and yet be praised as doing something loving. Um, Both of those things seem to me very true. So I say that hating your brother is much clearer and much more explicit than the others, but I think perhaps that needs some thinking about as well, um, what that means. And it's, of course, relevant because 
we also in verse 10 need to answer the op- the opposite question the one who loves his brother what does that mean so let's talk for a minute about hating and loving your brother we talked about the brother part um how uh i i feel very confident that he's using that term um adelphon there very inclusively not just gender inclusively which is implicit as we were talking about even in the greek word adelphi but um but much more inclusively it's gender inclusively inclusive to uh believers and non-believers very generally inclusive right um the point of using the word is not to restrict the people the others in question but rather to characterize the attitude that we should have right the phrase hates his brother brings into conflict two ideas right the whole idea of brother why you would take that metaphor from blood relationship member of your close family right fellow child of your parents um person that you've lived with your whole life and grown up with and everything like that 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 concept would be expanded metaphorically to anybody else right to people in your tribe to people in you know who share your beliefs um to all other human beings to make that kind of an extension is to assert something about the relationship the proper relationship that should be between us and those other people um to call to use the word adelphon inclusively is to make a pretty um uh make make a pretty significant statement a pretty bold statement um about the proper implicit relationships among all human beings the interconnected um, you know it's it's to to have a high view of the interconnectedness of human beings and of course as i say there's an intrinsic um the phrase hates his brother there's something intrinsically tragic in that which wouldn't be um it's not as tragic to hate your neighbor it's not as tragic i mean like that phrase isn't as intrinsically tragic like as intrinsically contradictory um uh to say you know uh uh like uh, he hates that stranger right i mean like I, you know, hates his coworker, uh, you know, hates the guy on the, that guy on the street. It's not the same. It doesn't have the same kind of force of hates his brother. It's not to say that nobody does hate their siblings. Um, certainly hatred between siblings can and does happen, but you can feel the conflict there, right? One sibling, a member of one's family is surely one for whom one should have love. Um, even even if you know someone has antipathy for a sibling and you have sympathy for that antipathy right um nevertheless there's still a sense of tragedy there right that that it shouldn't be there shouldn't be that kind of conflict um you know is there friction between siblings yes of course there is just as there's uh, friction among everybody but there's something intrinsically almost self-contradictory um not not quite but almost self-contradictory in the phrase hates his brother um and that that kind of self-contradiction is therefore projected outward and um uh and 
brought to bear on the entirety of humanity is kind of a big deal, right? That any hatred of our fellow human beings, there's something tragic about that. There's something there's something there's a there's there's a wrongness about it again uh, that's not to say that you know ill will and distrust among siblings is you know can never be is never justified and, and i'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody who has who is estranged from their siblings um but what i am saying is it's clear that there's that you know to what extent the wrongness of that, you know, lies in, 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 in that, in, you know, either one of the people I don't know, but again, but it's, but it's clear that it's wrong. It shouldn't be. This is a, this is a wound that needs healing. And I, I think that anybody who is estranged from their siblings feels that, that it's a wound that needs healing. Um, and I think that John is as Jesus was before, uh, before him in the Sermon on the Mount, inviting us to view all people that way that if there is hatred among any people between any people it is a kind of wound um it is a kind of tragedy it shouldn't be a, there's a wrongness to that um and that's what he's pointing to here this hatred of your brother if you say you're in the light and you hate your brother you're still in the darkness um despite the fact that the true uh light is already shining yeah exactly it, it is much like the who is his neighbor question um praise yeah we talked about that a little bit last time as i as i somewhat vaguely recall uh from here but i think it I th i'm pretty sure that came up last time um exactly so okay so let's get back to the question of hatred and loving then that's the brother part of the of the of the thing and the, and again that's enormously significant i think but let's come back to loving and hating what do we make of that in this context um what does it mean to hate your brother and what does it mean to love your brother um i think i think that there are almost all of us would try to get off the hook, the hook that's implicit in verse nine, right? Because verse nine, it's a big deal. This is really concrete. To say, um, he who says he has fellowship with God and yet walks in darkness, uh, lies. Well, you might feel like that's a relatively easy hook to wiggle off of. I mean, what is walking in darkness after all, right? If you walk in, if you define walking in darkness in certain ways, then you can convince yourself that obviously that's not you. Um, this is much more concrete. And yet I think we would still try to wiggle off this particular hook. Oh, I don't hate my brother, right? I may oppose things like what does it mean so to not if i know don't hate my brother does what what does this mean that i i have to like support everything they say like is is that is that you know is that what that means um yeah yeah aiden exactly back to the who is my neighbor thing um the way in which the who is my neighbor question did seem to be an an attempt wriggle off that particular hook right if you're supposed to love your neighbor but you can 
you know, classify who counts as your neighbor, then that gives you the justification to hate some people. You don't have to love everybody, just your neighbor. And that's a diminishingly small class of people, right? So, uh, you know, the more you think about it, the smaller that category can get. So there you go. Um, But, um, and by the way, notice one of the things, Aiden, that John has accomplished by constructing things the way that he's doing here. There, with the who is my neighbor argument, or, you know, with that whole line of thought that Jesus is addressing or confronting, really, um, when um, uh, when that comes up in the gospel, there, Jesus is, it's a commandment. They're trying to wriggle out of a commandment. Um, they're trying to redefine how they can be keeping that commandment while still doing while still giving them the sort of the, themselves the freedom to do what they really want to do, um, which is hate some people at least. Um, and, and of course, this is what's so significant about Jesus choosing the Samaritan, right? As the example, and because the good Samaritan parable is what comes of that whole, who is my neighbor question. Um, so he picks a conspicuous example of somebody who would almost certainly be in that category of not my neighbor and someone whom I feel entitled to hate um, by presumably many of uh, you know the folks there in Judea in the first century. Um, John has constructed things differently. He's not talking, so the, the hook, when I talk about wriggling off the hook, it's not about redefining a commandment to make it more comfortable. Here, this structure of the one who says this, but this is true, the reality is that is nonsense. That person is lying, right? The way in which John is setting out, he's setting out to shine a spotlight, right? He is kind of, he is pinning you down, if you say this, okay, you say you have fellowship with God, great. You say you've come to know God, okay. Um, you say you're in the light. All right, let's shine a real light on this, right? And let's look at this really carefully. And that's where you're escaping. So that is you're escaping from an examination of you rather than merely a call upon you, which you can, you know, than, 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 than just a command. John's coming after us much more directly. Um, uh, again, not unlike how Jesus was doing in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, in that really uncomfortable, um, you know, he who hates his brother in his heart, he who looks after a woman to lust on her he who i mean like that's that's uncomfortable in the same kind of way right where jesus pursues this whole uh re, you know he aggressively redefines the commandment in the uncomfortable direction instead of the more comfortable direction in which the um who is my neighbor uh, kind of thinking is clearly trying to do. So again, we can see Jesus confronting this. Um, but again, if we want to get off the hook on the um, hating your brother thing, what what do we have to work with from within John so far to understand those terms? Because he's not used 
either one of these terms yet, really. Has he? I don't think he's talked about love yet, shockingly. Um, spoiler, he will correct that <laughs> before we get to the end of the epistle, right? But it seems almost odd to actually say, John hasn't talked about love yet. Has he? We've gotten light and darkness, quite a bit of light and darkness. I don't think we've talked about love yet. Ah, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. There we go. Once. Once. Yep. That's it. That's it. So let's look at that one. Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. So, keeping his commandments is connected with the perfection, the completion of the love of God. And we spent some time talking about what that means, what it means to have the love of God perfected, the love that God shows towards us, the love uh, which is brought to completion in this way by our keeping of his commandments, the love that God has for others, for the world, is made perfect, is brought to completion through us by our keeping his commandments. Yeah. But in a sense, of course, what we can see in these two verses is that he's restating that fundamental idea. That's why it's nonsense to say that you're in the light if you hate your brother. It's exactly as nonsensical as saying, I have come to know him. I don't keep his commandments, right? But I know it, right? I've come to this holy theoretical uh, knowledge of God. Uh, no, you haven't. You say that you're a liar and the truth is not in you. It's That's nonsense. It can't be. You cannot know God without keeping his commandments. His commandments of which are love the Lord God and love your neighbor as yourself. So the only place we've gotten love apart from this one reference to the love of God is implicitly in the commandments themselves, in the keeping of the commandments themselves through which you come to know God. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. Well, of course he is. Of course he is. You can't be in the light. You can't have koinonia with God. You can't have come to know him if you haven't kept his commandments. And his commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Um, That's one of the commandments. And so if you're hating your brother, you can't. And so therefore I have to take, based on the context here, um, yeah, um, based on the context here, I have to take love. The one who loves his brother abides in the light in verse 10. As connected with as a manifestation, uh, 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 not a manifest. Well, yeah, I guess it is a manifestation as a playing out of the commandments. Like that's what it means. It's what it looks like to follow the commandments. Again, shockingly, he's not saying something different. Once again, he's saying the same thing, but he's saying it in different words. The one who says I have come to know him 
and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Oops, sorry, I went the wrong way. The one who says he is in the light, the one who says I have come to know him. If we say that we have fellowship with him, I I think those three things are pretty much the same thing. And not that there's no distinctions there, not that there are no new elements that he's adding, but I think the parallel is very clear. To, to be in the light, to have fellowship with God, to have come to know him. These are three ways of talking about exactly the same thing. And therefore, walking in the darkness, not keeping his commandments, and hating your brother are also three ways of saying the same thing. Which also means, by the way, that um, the truth not being, not practicing the truth, the truth not being in you and being in darkness until now are also, I think, three different ways of saying uh, a very, a very similar thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Praise says if hate is the opposite of love in the practical application of action sense, uh, it's much harder to wriggle off that hook. Yes, yes. Um Oh man, Aiden, um, we spent, I don't want to repeat it because we, we spent a long time to do it. We spent a long time talking about the until now last time. Um, uh, and I referred to it a little bit uh, before you came in here today, but when, f- when I uh, get around to actually posting last week's episode, uh, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see, we talked about that a lot, actually. Um, I ended up doing an altar call on until now last time. <laughs> I didn't see it coming, but that's what ended up happening. It was funny. Um, but anyhow, the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Um, so hating your brother, loving your brother. Um, if hating your brother is the opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself, um, I think, I think praise it does mean um, the practical application of action, right? Um, you do, you look at the actions, but, but I, I don't know. I actually think people can wriggle out that way. Um, like I'm not doing anything hateful, right? I mean, I'm not, um, uh, I'm not taking any actions against these people, right? Um, hate. Hate is a powerful word because it's an it's a very active verb. Um, but there's also a whole lot of negative activity that can kind of count in that category. That is, there's there's a great deal of omission as well as commission, um, which I think can be counted in the category of hating your brother. Um, I, I've always been strongly influenced by a lot of the things that C.S. Lewis says about loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, I think that Lewis, and I, he does it several times. I'm not going to be able to come up with a, and if anyone can give me an exact reference, I would be appreciative. Um, but I can't remember which books, uh, it's in, um, where he talks about how do you, love yourself? Are you supposed to love your neighbor as yourself? How do you love yourself? And the answer isn't generally thinking that you're a lovely person all the time, right? It means always wanting the best 
for yourself, right? Like you, you are, you are always in your own corner. You are always, uh, uh, you are always an advocate for yourself. Uh, you are always wanting things to turn out for the best for yourself. Um, uh, that's what it means to love yourself. Um, so it doesn't have to, so loving other people, loving your neighbor as yourself, doesn't mean that you're, you have to have warm, fuzzy feelings that you have to have admiration for you, for other, uh, for your neighbors at all times. You know, you don't admire yourself at all times. Um, it doesn't mean having warm, fuzzy feelings for your neighbors because you don't have warm, fuzzy feelings towards yourself at all times. Um, maybe not even at most times, right? But what you do do is without thinking you act in self-interest, right? You act, um, you know, self-interest and self-preservation, right? Are like we call them instincts, um, uh, self-preservation, at least we call an instinct, uh, and self-interest is something that's kind of close, uh, to an instinct. It, I, it sounds like something from your Christianity to me, Emily, as well. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah, but it's definitely, so to love your neighbor as yourself means to have the same kind of interest in others as you have self-interest to seek the preservation and the thriving of others as you seek self-preservation and you, as you pursue your own thriving um, to have that same deep seed again, without even thinking about it. Like that's, that's the goal, right? That's what the perfect keeping of the commandment would look like is for you to have the same unthinking impulse towards the good uh, and well-being of others as you do towards yourself. Uh, you don't have to school yourself. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to plan it. You just, you just do it like, you know, pulling your hand back from a hot surface. Uh, it's just wired into you. And when uh, that same kind of attitude is wired into you about other people, that's when you are keeping the, that, that would be a perfect keeping, um, of the commandment. So anyway, I, that's, that's what I myself always come like when I find myself trying to wriggle off the hook. That's what I keep coming back to, uh, here, um, to hate your brother. Therefore doesn't just mean I pursue active courses of antipathy against this person. Um, but it means more than that, but let's pause for a second and not pass that over too quickly. I don't want to just assume that I don't want to just assume that that sort of active opposition, that sort of active hatred is not an issue because I look around myself and I, um, I look around myself and I see lots of issues with that. Um, this is something I think we need a special caution about now, today, in today's world, that it's, um, the tendency to be dismissive of people, the tendency to the polarization of our society is, seems to me like a very real thing that's happening. And the justification that is now becoming quite common, um, 
the justification, like the, that feeling of justification of hatred and dismissal of people. Um, I'm going to call you a name which justifies my hating you. A name like racist, for instance, um, or other names. Um, there are all kinds of names. Um, but um, that's one that I see being weaponized a lot, of course, uh, in my little world. Um, but um, but there are many others as well. Um, I'm going to I'm going to call you this and I hate that thing. And so I'm going to then just sloppily hate you as well. I have never seen people more eager to defend the open hatred of other people. I can't ever remember a time where people were making arguments about arguments in favor of hating other people. And I do not think that Christians are immune to this. Um, First of all, that would be a silly thing to claim as goodness knows how many times have we seen this, right? Um, I mean, we look back at times like the 16th century, right? And the uh, the violent antipathy between Protestants and Catholics in England, for instance, um, you know, during the reigns of Edward VI and, uh, and Queen Mary uh, and Elizabeth after them, you know, back during Tudor times and say, oh man, like that's appalling. How could Christians behave that way? Um, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Aiden is bringing up the whole intolerant, the whole paradox of tolerance thing, um, which of course I was just getting piled on on Twitter about relatively recently um, when I was trying to urge people to be careful. Uh, were my words about exactly this kind of thing and for exactly this reason. Um, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. So anyway, but going back to what I was saying, we can look back at, you know, the like sectarian divides at other points in Christian history and kind of shake our heads and, and, and say like, that is so, it is so obviously wrong. Um, How could people get themselves to be in a position like that where they felt like just because this other person worships Jesus in a different way, like we feel justified in demonizing them to this level such that we would actually uh, you know, torture and execute them, uh, as a result. Um, yeah, it's pretty horrible. All right. Um, but I don't think, um, I don't think that this is widely different from what we see now. There are lots of times when people feel that, and to Christians, one of the things that I would say that to, to me seems enormously important um standing up for truth right standing up for truth that's the justification right we we can't compromise truth we know what is true and that is important and so therefore we must stand up for truth and therefore when somebody else when another Christian or another person who claims at least to be a Christian is speaking against that truth, we have to, we have to resist that in the name of truth. Um, that is an enormously seductive line of thinking. And in my opinion, and I will add in my personal experience, 
this becomes an excuse to hate your brother in about three seconds. Um, it becomes a justification for the hatred of your brother very, very quickly. I say in my experience, because this was has always been one of my weaknesses. Um, I, uh, um, especially in my younger years, the desire to stand up for truth, the, the fiery opposition against heresy, totally something I can sympathize with um, because it was really important. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and I'm like, these are really important things. Like, how can you not, like, you have to stand, you, you not only have to stand up and say, I believe this to be true. And I think that this is important, but if people are attacking that, you have to resist them. Right. I mean, like you can't just let it pass or, you know, the truth might be, uh, the truth might be compromised in other people's eyes. Right. And like, like if, if I don't stand up for the truth, then, you know, I'm responsible for other people, not like seeing the truth and that's what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm justified therefore uh, in doing this and man, like the justifications come really, really easy. But at the end of the day, that wasn't the commandment, right? Stand up for the truth is not the commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself is the commandment. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and that's that's the commandment. That's the commandment that we cannot compromise or else we'll find we're in the darkness until now as much as we think we're in the light. Um, and again, from a historical distance, you can see it, right? Look at the, the I, I believe, I think that, um, I think that even things like the Inquisition uh, get warped and twisted in the modern imagination uh, and the Crusades, especially the Crusades. Um, and again, I'm not saying that evil was not done in those times. I think that they're too casually demonized. Um, but I believe certainly that there were crusaders and even that there were inquisitors who had good motivations. But from the from a historical distance, right, from the distance of history, you can look at it and, you, and it's easy to see, man, boy, are you... Uh, are you walking in the darkness, right? Are you allowing your desire to stand up for truth to become a hatred of your brother, right? To excuse a hatred of your brother. Um, again, from a distance in history, you can look at that and say, yeah, boy, whew, that was bad. Um, but we need to look around us and make sure that we're not on the same path, that we're not doing exactly the same thing. And I think that we so often are. The kind of unity that John is talking about in this epistle, the kind of unity that was implied all the way back, right? What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember, that's what John said was his purpose of writing this whole epistle, so that you may, you too may have fellowship with us. The unity of believers is not just an imperative, it's a fact. And if you deviate from that fact, if you subordinate the unity of 
believers and this commandment to love others, if you subordinate that to defending any doctrinal point, you are, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, uh, yeah, it's very hard. Unity is, is a fact. And if you don't accept unity, if you don't accept fellowship with other believers, then you're speaking nonsense in the way that John talks about nonsense here. Um, this is hard. This is really challenging. Praise, you're right. Praise is quoting, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Yes. Yeah. Nothing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's, this is a really challenging thing. Um, if you hate your brother, you're in the darkness, no matter how much you think you're in the light, no matter how much you think your words and actions demonstrate you being in the light means you're standing in the light. Um, and uh, <laughs> I've had a, I've been really grateful for the, so of course, as I think, I think all of you know, uh, I'm, uh, you know, heavily involved in the online Tolkien community and um, the sort of controversies within the Tolkien community, the ways in which the Tolkien community has reacted to and been manipulated uh, in the context of um, the new Prime Video Rings of Power show has created many situations that have, like my, my, my interactions with the online Tolkien community have in many places served me. And sometimes I have felt this to be almost explicit. That is, uh, I have felt explicitly invited by God uh, to view this as a kind of... Uh, uh, I don't know, minor league version, uh, sort of, uh, 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 metaphor for, uh, the church. It's not the church. I'm not saying they're the same thing. I, again, I'm saying it's a metaphor for it, right? That, um, uh, thinking it, it has really helped to illuminate a bunch of things for me. Again, it's, it's, um, it's like, it's like a parallel, um, except anyway. Again, it's not the same thing, but I've been brought to mind about this many times um, when I hear people talking about betraying the spirit of Tolkien, and they're doing this in this violent, hateful language, um, even like making memes, which, you know, I show Tolkien making obscene gestures and like... Uh, a, a, you know, vulgarity uh, laced insults at other people, um, you know, and they're like, this is what Tolkien thinks of you. And I just, I keep thinking of Jesus. You know, I keep thinking of how many times that same thing has happened um, where we have taken our own passions about things and put thus saith the Lord in front of it, right? And end up claiming things about God and about Jesus, which are absolutely antipathetic. I mean, again, I look at these things and I'm like, you talk about like defending Tolkien, you talk about, you know, 
like having black people cast in a Tolkien adaptation is against the spirit of Tolkien in some sense, but you think that what you're doing right here, that that's defending it, right? That that's, um, you know, and I just, I just look at this and I'm just shocked. I'm just amazed uh, at the mindset of somebody who could do this. But again, I, I I keep coming back to saying how many times do we as, have we as Christians in the history of Christianity done the same thing? Um, How often, now are we still tempted to do the same thing um to condemn in the name of jesus right to uh to claim to be to be in the light and defending the light right to be standing with the true light against the darkness in the world um and to be doing so in a way which is hateful right which is uh doing nothing but causing division, division among believers, division between believers and non-believers. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in our world right now. And I think that verses nine and 10 of this chapter speak to me really directly to what is happening in the world right now. And I know what's happened, what's always been happening in the world to some extent, but I think these are just super relevant verses right now. Um, If you say you're in the light and yet hate your brother, you're in darkness until now. Um, You are in the darkness that is passing away, not the true light that is already shining. Well, let's go on with a more positive verse 10 here. That is to see what comes of this. Um, The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause of stumbling in him. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. Okay, so if you focus, how do you be in the light? What is? How do you get in the light? How do you get in the light? How do you stay in the light? Well, well, it's easy. Love your brother. If you love your brother you abide in the light. And notice there's this same sense of tautology, right? This is the way that John thinks about things, right? Like, how do you be in the light? By being in the light. How do you, uh, how do you abide in the light? You love your brother. How do you love your brother? By abiding in the light, right? Um, these, again, there's this, there's this identity between these things, just as we saw in the previous paragraph between coming to know him and keeping his commandments. Why is it that it's the truth is not in you if you say you've come to know him without keeping his commandments? Because it's a contradiction in terms, because you can't, because they mean the same thing. You can only come to know him by keeping his commandments, and you can only keep your keep his and you can only keep his commandments when you've come to know him. Um, that those things are interchangeably true. And John is asserting the same thing about abiding in the light and loving your brother here. If you love your brother, you will abide in the light. If you abide in the light, it means you'll love your brother. Like it will manifest itself. It's not just a, I mean, on the one hand, you can say that loving and hating here serve as outward tells. Like, how do you know? How do you know if you're abiding in the light? What's the what's the test here to prove to yourself or to others whether or not you're abiding in the light? Well, simple. Are you hating your brother or are you loving your brother? If you're loving your brother, then you're abiding in the light. QED, proven, right? Um, it's been proven. 
But it's not just that. It's not just an outward testimony. It's not just a, um, it's not just a tell in this sense. Um, it is, but it's more than that too. It's also the method by which it happens. One who loves his brother abides in the light. And to say that is to say almost exactly the same thing as whoever follows his word, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Whoever keeps his word, what is his word? His commandments to love your neighbor as yourself, right? If you keep that commandment, then the love of God has been perfected in you. If you love your brother, you abide in the light. Remember the word abide. The word abide was really important at the end of paragraph three there as well. By this, we know that we are in him. Remember, this is, this is the, he, he's explicitly raised this question. How can we know? How can we be sure? Right? By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him abides. That's that same word. I'm pretty sure we've got the same verb. Wait, we even looked at the Greek yet today. Um, abides. Yes. Menai. Menai. Abides in him. And if we go back to six, it's the one claiming to abide in him. Menai. Yes, exactly the same word. Um, interesting that we don't get that. Once again, just as with follows here, I put an asterisk next to follows, remember, because it's the same exact word as keep, um, though our, the NASB has not represented that parallel, um, that reuse of the word uh, there. And we have the same thing here. We say remains in him um, uh, and then abides, remains and abides. That's the same. That's the same word. Right. Anyway, okay, so back to it. Um, by this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself also walk just as right ought to walk um also wait wait how, how did that how did that go again i'm uh i'm forgetting that right uh the one claiming to abide in him ought uh ought just right ought uh ought just as that walk also he in the same way walked right right um ought himself just as he walked to walk. Um, yeah. Ought himself also just as he walked to walk. Um, anyway, yeah. So, okay. Um, the one who says that he remains in him ought himself also just as he walked to walk. Um, that identity with Jesus ought right? This is what should happen, right? The, by this, we know that we know him. If we're walking just as he walked, then we know that we are in him. That's what it means to abide in him. That abiding in, in him is real. The language that the epistles use, right? Um, and uh, Jesus uses in the gospel of John as well, right? Um, I, you are in me and I am in you, Um uh, and like, you know, Paul's putting on Christ and all that sort of thing, right? It can sound real abstract. Like, you know, like, behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. Okay, that's cool. Um, I'm not saying it's not awesome, but it can, it can, be, it, it can feel vague, 
You know what I mean? Like it always did to me anyway, um, feel vague, like with me in what sense, you know, um, uh, you know, was not really sure about that, but John is being much more explicit here. If you abide in, if you say that you abide in him, that means something. And what it means is you will walk just as he walked. If you're not walking as Jesus walked, then you're not abiding in him, are you? Because if you're not walking as he walked, where are you walking? In the darkness, because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if you're not walking as he walked, then you're walking in the darkness. It's all, it's all very simple, right? The one who hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. There's, again, that abide word again, just as we ought to. And when we talked about the word ought, right? Like it's like the logical consequence. Like it's, you're obligated to. Like if you abide in him, this is what it looks like. It's inescapable. That same kind of logical inevitability that John has been, you know, pursuing all the way through, you know, kind of trapping, hemming us in with firmly that kind of logical um logical necessity all the way through. And he's doing it again here. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. Of course he does. Of course he does. That's what it means to abide in the light. And the one who abides in the light loves his brother. Inescapable. You can't abide in the light and not love your brother. He just said that in verse nine. If you say you're in the light and hate your brother, you're in darkness. You can only be in light by loving your brother. You will certainly love your brother if you abide in the light, if you remain in the light. Um, remember also that other abiding in the light verb uh, verse. I mean, if we walk in the light, verse 7, chapter 1, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Remember, walking in the light as he himself is in the light, abiding in the light. Notice how that brings together in advance all of these things. Um, sometimes I feel like John, <laughs> John is like giving us a sermon backwards. You know what I mean? Like, ideally, you want to like make all of these specific practical points and then you sum them up and bring them together in these like unified, like take home statements that um, help us to uh, bring together in our minds all of these details from before. John leads with those, <laughs> right? And then he's giving us like more uh, as he's restating them. Uh, he's and kind of doing the same thing again and again. He's giving us more, uh, more in depth, more detail as we go for. So I find this keeps happening when I keep going back to these statements at the beginning of the book. Now they make so much more sense than they did at the time. Uh, right. That is, we can see, like we, we think how much better now we understand and yet walk in the darkness or we didn't have, we, we, we had almost no purchase or no imaginative purchase for that uh, in verse six. Now we do right. Verse seven too. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, Man, look at how that verse now irradiates. Um, by this, we know that we are in him. The one that says that he remains in him 
ought ought himself to walk uh, just as he walks to walk. And also the one who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness, but the one who loves his brother and abides in the light uh, abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. Right. This is, um, uh, this is what, um, Okay, you can see these things coming together. He who walks in the light as he himself is in the light. And notice, remember what John linked to that. What happens if you walk in the light as he is in the light? What happens if you abide in the light? You love your brother and abide in the light. What's the consequence of that? Back to verse 7 of chapter 1. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin cleansing being cleansed from sin by the blood of jesus is a consequence of that having fellowship with one another is a consequence we are bound we have koinonia we're bound in unity to each other if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light and our cleansing and notice doesn't that um oops sorry well morning here um doesn't this show that uh uh isn't this interesting how this suggests that um, how this works? It feels backwards, doesn't it? That is, don't we like to think that it doesn't seem to make more sense to us to think that if we first are forgiven our sins, right? if we're cleansed of our sins by the blood of Jesus, then we can walk in the light as he himself is in the light? Right? I mean, then we're empowered by our unity with him to walk in the light as he himself is in the light. That we can move from hating our brothers to loving our brothers uh, in the power of Jesus. Yeah. No, I, it's not that I don't think that happens, but that's not how he's talked about it. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another because we're all walking along there together. If we all abide in Jesus, then guess what? We're all abiding in each other too, right? We're all abiding in the same place if we're all abiding in him. So of course we have fellowship with one another. Oh, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's when it happens. That's how it happens. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. The love of God has been made perfect has been completed in whoever follows his word. It's not the love of God is first made perfect and then you're empowered to follow his word. The two things go together just as the walking in the light goes with the cleansing. If you walk in the light, then you're cleansed. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. Um. And then you'll presumably be cleansed of all sins, such as hating your brother, right? Um, that's uh, um, that's a big deal. Just as keeping his commandments and coming to know him being the same is a similar kind of big deal. 
what what John, I feel, refuses to give us in this epistle. One of the there's many things he refuses to give us. What other thing among the things John refuses to give us in this epistle um, is a step by step program. Step one, um, and, and certainly it does not follow the way that you know I traditionally heard the gospel throughout my childhood. Right. Step one, acknowledge that you're a sinner. Step two, receive the grace of God, right? Step three, move forward in discipleship and growth. Like once you do those steps, then you shall, you know, grow in the spirit. That was how I was always told. That's not how John does it. I'm not saying that John is necessarily fundamentally contradicting that. I think he might be, but I'm not necessarily saying that he is. But what I am saying is he does not talk that way. Um, instead, he's giving us all of these things all at the same time. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause of stumbling, no cause for stumbling in him. Um, we haven't talked about that last bit and we're running out of time. Um, I want to come back to that a little bit next time, I think. I'm, I'm going to save the scandal on which is what that is um going back down here to verse 10 um right the one loving so this is the uh uh we definitely have the uh, the uh, agape verb there the brother of him uh in the light foti abides mene as we talked about that's an important word and will be increasingly important as we move through the epistle and there's the scandalon, cause for stumbling in him. There is not. There is no scandalon in him. Um, what that means exactly, cause for stumbling. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that in the context of verse 11, because I think he's going to sort of take that metaphor in a particular direction. Um, uh yeah, he's he's going to take that metaphor in a um, in a particular direction in verse eleven, I think. But um, but again, coming back to the point that I was making, all of these things like walking in the light, being cleansed from the sin, being having fellowship with God and with other believers, keeping His commandments, coming to know Him. Like you can't come to know Him first and then decide to keep His commandments. <laughs> like it's not going to happen. It can't happen. You can only know Him by keeping His commandments. Um, uh, the uh, keeping his commandments and the love of God being perfected in you, being in the light and loving your brother. All of these things are things which happen at the same time because they are the same thing. Like they are the same process. Um, John suggests by the way that he frames these things and juxtapose these things and uh, has these repeated patterns. He suggests that these things, that there's this, there's this identity among them all, as I say, John, um, uh, uh, tautology is how he thinks, right? I'm just, I'm saying that thing A is thing A and, uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's the whole, uh, sort of logic of his, of his words. Um, and this is, this is a challenge. We want to break it down step-by-step. We want to think about ourselves as being on the road right? It's comforting 
to say to ourselves, well, I'm not perfect yet, right? But Lord willing, I'm making small steps, you know, in my process of sanctification every day. And there may be ways in which that might be true. There might there might be some reality expressed in that, but that's not how John talks about things. That's not how John invites us to think through things. And I want to make sure that we are receptive to John's, uh, to what John is doing there. Because sometimes I think that the, um, I know I'm not perfect yet, how easily that can turn into a justification, right? Um, I want to do something that I know I shouldn't do, right? It's like, well, you know, but I'm not perfect yet and I'll repent afterwards, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's easy. It's easy to start thinking in that way. And John is uncompromising, right? It's one of the, it's one of the consequences of this, uh, of this way of this mode of thinking, this mode of, uh, uh, of facing these realities in the way that he is to be in the light is to love your brother. No compromises. You can't hate just a little bit. You can't hate just like some people, but not most. Uh, you can't. It's a contradiction in terms. Only if you love your brother do you abide in the light. And you can only abide in the light if you by loving your brother. Um, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Yep. Too much there to move on. Again, what, the reason uh, I, I will compensate by glancing ahead um uh glancing ahead at verse 11 here um in verse 11 he's going to go on to say but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes in verse 11 he's going to lean into the metaphor of walking again right we're going to get back to walking we've we've done the walking metaphor before several times. Um, and we'll go back and look at how John is bringing those things together here at the end of paragraph four. Um, but I think this is why the um, scandalon is usually translated as cause for stumbling or, or stumbling block. Um, there is no occasion of stumbling, says the King James. Um, the Referring to stumbling or tripping, um, is the would be an anticipation of the metaphor that he's just about to segue to about the walking in the darkness and not being able to not not knowing where you're going right of stumbling and um uh uh wandering about uh in circles in the darkness right you can't get anywhere because the darkness has blinded your eyes um so i do think that but i do think so I mean I'm, I'm, I I do think stumbling is a good verb there, but I think that stumbling can mean a couple different things, and I'm also really interested in his phrasing that there is no cause for stumbling. Again, the stumbling it's the scandal on isn't just it's not about stumbling; it's about the thing that makes you stumble. Um, that's what that word means. That's where the word cause comes from. Um. We'll look at that. Oops, sorry. We'll look at that in some other examples of uh, the word scandalon 
and how that works here and how it then connects to the loving your brother and abiding in the light. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so we'll do that next time. John, I agree. Uh, John says, I think we're wired post enlightenment to want to turn everything into systems and steps. Um, just something to be aware of because John isn't thinking along those lines at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, uh, I, I mean, think about how this gets done. I mean, I was talking about in a gospel context, right? Think of when you're, you know, if you're explaining to somebody, if you were trying to explain what it means, um, you know, to answer that question, you know, when we were talking about way back at the very beginning, right? The word of life stuff, um, you know, you've, what was from the beginning, what we've heard, seen, looked at, handled concerning the word of life, right? What we have seen and heard, like, so we know all this stuff, we've experienced all this stuff. What now? What happens now? Um, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about how that was sort of the implicit question that he seems to be addressing in the epistle. Um, what is What happens now? Now that we have encountered Jesus, now that we have um, seen and heard and handled the word of life stuff, um, what now? And we do tend to want to turn that into a step-by-step progression. Um, well, okay, first step is this, right? And then this, and then this. And and John, I completely agree. John the apostle John does not think that way at all in this epistle. Um, instead of saying, here's the next step. What John is saying, I think fundamentally is let me help you to see the reality. There is a new reality. The true light is now shining. What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, the true light is now shining and we're abiding in him and we're abiding in the light. So what is that reality? What does that look like? And he keeps saying all of these uncompromising things, these non-progressive things. Um, I write these things unto you that ye sin not, period, <laughs> right? Because that's, again, not that he's not acknowledging that sin happens. He's got that stuff about confession and having an advocate. It's all there. He acknowledges it. But that's not what it looks like. Um, walking just as he walked, that's what it looks, that's what abiding in him looks like. Keeping his commandments, that's what it looks like. The love of God perfected in us, that's what it looks like. Loving our brother is what it looks like no, with no compromise. Can't hate your brother just a little bit. You can't just be working on hating your brother less. You've got to love your brother. Um, anyway, so uh, we talked last time as well about what it means for the commandment to be true in him and in us right? Which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's true in us because the true light is already shining through us. So let us go forth again and be a light in the world uh, over the course of these, uh, uh, these next days and weeks. Um, 
and remember that that means loving our brothers, loving our fellow people, um, loving them as we love ourselves. No matter what, no matter what, what does that look like and how can we do that? That's our challenge. Um, but remember, just as we're cleansed of our sins when we walk in the light as he is in the light, so too, I believe, we set out to love our brother and we will find the love of God perfected in us. Um, but um, anyway, heavy stuff here today. But as I say, verses 9 and 10 feel to me so very relevant to our current world. And I uh, and certainly my prayer that you will be thinking about um, that and how that can be both in your own interactions with your family and friends and church and with your social interactions through social media, online with strangers. Um, this is a big deal. And we need to be loving our brother uh, in this sense, or we, we must. Um, we must. It is a logical necessity that we do uh, if we are to keep his commandments, uh, if we have come to know him, if we are abiding in the light. All right. Um, more on Scandalon next time. Uh, and then on to his summary here, which is not only going to bring together in verse 11, not only going to bring together paragraph four, but going to be looking back and tying together again uh, a bunch of the stuff that we've seen in all of the first four paragraphs. So thanks so much for working through verse 10 and, and a lot of nine again with me today. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Really appreciate your coming along with me and I will see you guys again next time. Bye now. Okay, that's it for this week. I'll be back with another episode soon as we continue our march through First John. I'm glad you could join me. Godspeed.